Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. In both the Eastern and Western liturgical tradition and calendar, there is a Sunday known as Trinity Sunday. For us, today is Trinity Sunday, and in the Byzantine East, it was last Sunday, was the subtitle of last Sunday is Trinity Sunday. Now, oftentimes, in the East and West, we'll have, um, you know, a feast day that is of the same theme, such as All Saints. We have an All Saints, and the Byzantine East has an All Saints, but they are actually come at different times in the year. They're, you know, one's in the summer, one's in the winter or something. They're not on the same day or at the same time because of just different historical developments. But in both the East and the West, the Feast of the Trinity is associated with Pentecost. In the East, it's the Day of Pentecost. That's the subtitle for Pentecost is Trinity Sunday. They also call the third Sunday after Pentecost, Trinity Sunday. And in the West here, it's the octave day. So today is sort of the, it is the octave day of Pentecost, and it is the feast of the Holy Trinity. Now there could have been many other times, easily, many other times in the liturgical calendar that the church could have chosen to emphasize uh, the dogma of the Holy Trinity. It could have been celebrated on any number of days, but I think it's significant very significant that it landed at Pentecost, and it's significant that it landed in Pentecost both in East and West, despite the fact that the development of this uh, happened, as far as I know, quite independently of each other. I'm not sure when the East first started calling the Feast of Pentecost Trinity Sunday, but in the West, it took a little over a thousand years for this feast to come into its own. In the West, there were propers for the divine office, prayers and hymns that were devoted to the dogma of the Trinity. And if you were here at Lodge, you heard some of these really profoundly beautiful and powerful antiphons on the Psalms concerning the dogma of the Trinity. Matins has even more. But it was a a bit longer uh, until, you know, they actually created a day, you know, a feast day today devoted to the dogma of the Trinity. In fact, it was suggested around the turn of the first millennium that there be a dedicated feast day, but it was a bit controversial because Alexander II said, well, why would we do that? We worship the Trinity every day. (laughs) And so eventually, though, it came to be, and it was settled to be on the octave day of Pentecost today. And so both in the East and West, we have a celebration a feast of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, emphasized in connection with the feast of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that is the point I want to really drive home to you this morning. And this is no coincidence. It's no happenstance. Now, at first it may seem a little odd to have a day dedicated to such an emphasis. I mean, who is the first person who said, hmm, let's have a feast day to celebrate God. 
That's what, that's what Alexander wondered. That's what he thought when somebody suggested it to him. So at first it sounds a little bit strange. We'll have a feast day, a special day set apart to celebrate God. Um, I suppose it would be weird and odd, and it would sound like that if the feast was at any other time other than Pentecost. But it is because this feast is associated with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that it is not strange and not weird. Why? Well, we spend uh, a considerable amount of time in our catechism class, weeks and weeks, I don't know how many hours, 40 hours, we spend going over Trinitarian dogma. We talk about all the historical developments, the various heresies that came against uh, Christology and Trinitarian dogma and doctrine. We talk about the church's response to these things through um, councils and creeds and pronouncements and anathemas. We talk about all these things, and there's quite a bit that one can know and learn about all these things. But you can learn all this information and still not know God. The knowledge of God, the true, intimate, experiential, relational knowledge of the dogma of the Holy Trinity comes in only one way. And that is through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We come to know God. God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. I actually noticed this morning, in particular through the antiphons, as they were crafted, these antiphons, and if you go back and look at them, the Holy Spirit is given kind of a unique uh, precedent in the antiphon, in several of the antiphons. I'd never seen that before, before this morning. And I believe it's because of this, and because of the same reason why Trinity Sunday and the Feast of Trinity at Pentecost is, is celebrated at this time. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals the Holy Trinity to us. The knowledge of God, the fullness of life and truth and joy, and especially love, comes to mankind at Pentecost. Because that's when we receive the Holy Spirit, and that's when we celebrate the dogma of the Trinity in the association with this Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, which I repeatedly point out to you, it's not a standalone feast, it's the, it's the culmination, the capstone, the apex of Pascha, of the entire liturgical year. And in a sense, last week was Pentecost, but today is the octave of Pentecost, so today, today, this very day, this Sunday in the entire year, is the consummation and apex of the whole church year of Christ's resurrection from the dead and pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's the last day of the year, and it's also the first day of us starting all over again. Because all the Sundays after today, they're the Sundays after Pentecost, and sometimes they're numbered as the Sundays after Trinity. So now we go throughout the rest of our year worshiping the Holy Trinity, who the Holy Spirit has made known to us at Pentecost, and then we come to Advent when we start all over again. So this particular Sunday, this octave day of Pentecost, it is, as again I said, the capstone of Pascha. If we are far from God, any of us, and sometimes we are, different times in our life, if we are far from God, it's because there is unrepentant sin in our life, or because 
we are not intimate with the Holy Spirit. Because we are not paying attention to Him, walking with Him, obeying Him. Now I didn't say, very carefully, I did not say if we don't feel the presence of God. I said if we are far from God. Those are two different things. It is possible, or we may not feel the presence of God and yet not be far from God. Is that too many negatives? If you're Irish, you'll get it. Uh, we, we may feel the absence of God and still be close to God. Sometimes we don't feel the presence of God, not because of sin or unbelief, but because we're being proven. That's a normal cycle of our sanctification. And usually, with some practice and experience, we can discern the difference. And in those times where we have no consolation or a bit of dryness, once you get good at it, these things are learned, by the way, I want you to get good at living. You can actually even be invigorated by these periods. You can find some strange way, a little bit of enjoyment in it because you realize that once you power through, there's a prize at the end. It's like running a race. You know, it can be exhausting and difficult, but to cross the finish line and to receive the wreath at the end, that expectation gives you the fuel and the energy to keep going. So sometimes we have an emotional drought. It's not pleasant, but it's not because we're in sin or unbelief, but God is proving and testing us. But a lack of intimacy with the Spirit due to sin or unbelief is a completely different matter. Sometimes we don't know which it is. But if it's that, we must rectify it as quickly as possible with holy fear. This past week was Ember Week, Ember Tide, one of the four Ember Tides. And this one marked the summer solstice. And this past week we had three special masses in which we, through the masses and fasting, we consecrated our summer to God. The celebration of Ember Weeks, as I've taught on this past year quite extensively, predates the development of the liturgical calendar. In other words, the summer solstice, Ember Week, existed long before uh, the Feast of Pentecost came to be settled on the liturgical calendar. And it became, this, these ember weeks, as, as, as Pentecost came along and became ensconced on the calendar, the ember weeks didn't move. They stayed where they were. And so that's why we end up fasting um, during Pentecost, during the octave of Pentecost. It's odd. It's strange. It doesn't really fit, actually, in a way. But it should send us a message. These ember days are so of such antiquity and such importance, especially in the West particularly, that the church, even though they just happened to fall in Pentecost, because that came later, and the Ember Days, you see, can't be moved because they are governed by the astronomical calendar, by the sun, and God hasn't seen fit to change the rotation of the earth and the sun and all that yet, so they'll still stay where they are, I suppose, till Jesus comes back. But that's how it comes to be that we fast during this week of Pentecost. Uh, as far as the East goes, this is just a curiosity, I don't think the East ever celebrated ember tides or ever marked the solstices and equinoxes these four times of year in this way. And in fact, they, they actually repeal all fasting this week. They're not allowed to fast on Friday and Wednesday of this week. You must not fast during Pentecost, and yet we're over here saying, you must fast in the week of Pentecost. 
Uh, this is not something that's embarrassing to us whatsoever. It actually becomes an opportunity for us to point out and emphasize something very important. And that is that the Holy Spirit moves differently in different cultures and in different liturgical cultures to achieve his same purposes all the time. This is not only normal, it's not embarrassing, it should be celebrated and accentuated. Okay? At any rate, if you think it's important to consecrate your summer to God, the first and foremost way that you do it is by sacrificing your time and other interests by coming and offering the sacrifice of the Mass on the Ember Days, which we did this past week. Now, <clears throat> I'm bringing this up not just to give a plug for Ember Days, <laughs> although, there you go. Um, there's more coming, by the way, if you missed out. It's all right, because they come around every year, four times a year. So our winter Ember Days will be coming up soon. Somebody might ask, Father, uh, it doesn't do us much good for you to bring this up after Ember Week. Uh, and my response to that would be, I talked a lot about this this year. <laughs> I, put, I put in like a lot, a lot, a lot of hours uh, to this, devoted to teaching on this. So I'm not sure what sinks in when I teach on something like this until after the feast. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I know. Uh, so that's why I thought I might mention it this morning, just to reiterate. But in, anyway, you have a chance again in the fall, or in the, yes, in the fall. Um, but I'm not bringing this up just to plug the Ember Days. What prompted me uh, to bring this up is I had a particularly wonderful experience at yesterday's Ember Day Mass. And I wanted to mention the introit in the light of today's message. Uh, originally, the Ember Days had nothing to do with Pentecost. It's about the solstice. But as the liturgical calendar developed, the Ember Days and the liturgical calendar coincided, overlapped, and then the prayers for the Ember Days took on you know, some of the themes of whatever particular liturgical season they fall in. And so the Ember Days and Pentecost week take on a very strong uh, theme of the Holy Spirit falling at the time of Pentecost. And it is this... Um, which really speaks to the point I'm trying to make this morning. And it's from the introit taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. It says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, Alleluia, by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us, Alleluia, Alleluia. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. The love of God, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. All that is within me, that would be the Holy Spirit and everything else, <laughs> praise his holy name. Now, God is love. God is love, according to St. John, the beloved disciple, saying the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit is tantamount to saying that the Holy Trinity is made known to us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not dogma as in facts or history or definitions, but dogma as love. As the eternal inner penetration of love that is shared between the three divine persons. This is what is given to us in the gift of the Holy Spirit 
at Pentecost. This is what we celebrate today on this culminating day of the Feast of Feasts and on the first day of our new year in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.